Okay, some of you don't know who I am, and that's totally fine. I'm not sure who I am either. Okay, I got your attention. Great. That's enough friendliness for one morning, isn't it? We've done it. <laughs> Brilliant. Now, it's great to be here, and uh, my name's Lex Loisides. I'm half English and half Greek, so I have two former empires battling for supremacy in my own... Uh, I think I'm going to preach first, so thanks, guys. Yeah! Did we thank the band? Fantastic. Um, and I, I need to be up here so you can see me. I think that's fair enough. Yeah. Well, look, it's great to be with you guys and to uh, be back in Bristol. I was actually here about 20 years ago. Uh, and then I went somewhere else and came back again. And now here I am. Um, I must admit that uh, being part of something like this is tremendous, is tremendous. And uh, to be back in Bristol and to be enjoying the church here and how the church has grown here is fantastic. There are good news stories in the Christian church in this town. It's a fantastic thing. So today, though, I want to look at some words here. Uh, to be honest, uh, this is one of the most famous and influential statements in all human history that we're going to look at this morning. Uh, these words have had an incalculable effect on the history of nations and people around the world. They stand above history. They're like this massive monumental statement above all the philosophies of mankind, speculations about spirituality. They, these words just tower above it all. They're a towering testimony of God's given solution in Jesus Christ. And they're found in John chapter 14 and verse 6. I'll read them to you. Some of them will appear, some of the words will appear on the screen. Otherwise, you can check it on your smartphone. Jesus said this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, let me give you some background to that statement. It was made during the the last week of Jesus' life, uh, increasingly, he's been telling his disciples that he's going away, where, the, where he's going, they can't follow. In chapter 13, Peter had asked, where are you going? And he tells them, you can't follow me now, but you will afterwards. This is the night before the crucifixion, and he's telling them he's going. He's going to the Father. They're, just, they're confused. They don't know what this could possibly mean. They're vulnerable. And he's already told them several times, listen, I'm going to be killed. And then three days later, I'm going to rise again from the dead. And they had no kind of grid or concept of what that could possibly mean. Is that just figuratively speaking? Or what is he talking about? They couldn't believe it would happen. So that's, that's the context into which Jesus then speaks these words. John 14 verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, uh, would I have told you that I was going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answers, I am the way 
and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I've divided this little section this, of Scripture up into three bits. The first two I'm going to cover fairly quickly. The second one I'm going to spend a little, the third one I'm going to spend a little more time on. The exhortation to trust, the promise of acceptance, and the meaning of life. Yes, indeed. Today, you are going to hear the meaning of life. You may not have, have expected that when a friend invited you along uh, to this service this morning, but you're going to get the meaning of life. That's what you've come for. It's, it's definitely worth the money. So first of all, then, the exhortation to trust. It's this. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Now, there are thousands of reasons why our hearts are troubled, aren't there? If you're anything like me, your heart gets troubled from time to time, and sometimes irritatingly, quite easily, you can suddenly be troubled. God has the answer for a troubled heart. All our troubles are detailed and particular and pressured, and they have this element of the unknown hanging over them. That's why it troubles us. And the unknown was the issue for these followers of Christ. He's reasserting the problem. I'm going away. You can't come with me now. Don't worry. I'll, I'll be coming back. And so how does he help them? He says, trust me. Trust me. And he puts himself alongside God once again. John, the gospel writer, is continually emphasizing that Jesus and the Father are side by side. Right throughout the gospel, from the very beginning when John says, you know, he was the Word and he, he was with God and he is God. Jesus is placed side by side with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. And right at the end of the gospel, he says, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So Jesus puts himself alongside the Father and says, look, you believe in a God that you can't see. You trust him. I'm leaving now things are going to change. You won't see me, but you need to trust me in exactly the same way as you have been trusting God up until now. A massive shift is about to come into being for you, a transition. Trust me. It was practical trust. And that's, when we talk about faith, we can sometimes talk about, well, this is my creedal statement. These are the things that I believe. This is my faith. But actually, a critical part of faith is actually trusting him, trusting him that he will forgive your sins, trusting him that he will answer your prayer, actual practical trust that going into a time of the unknown, he will look after you. That's what Jesus is urging upon them. You, haven't, you, you didn't see God, now you're not going to be seeing me. I've been with you physically, it's going to change. It's the same as one Peter. Peter says this, though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. You haven't seen him, but you love him, Peter writes to the next generation of believers. Isn't that an amazing thing? All around the world, there are millions of people who don't only believe in, but who actually love someone they've never even seen. We love someone. We've never even seen him. We've never even seen him, but we love him. Though you haven't seen him, yet you love him. It's a fantastic thing. We are unashamedly and undeniably lovers of Jesus. We love him. 
He's done something in us that is so authentic and real and satisfying and, yeah, comforting and fulsome and wholesome that it just, love is, is the only appropriate response. Even if for some of us, and including my story, which I'll tell in a second, the approach in wasn't one of needing love or wanting love or seeking to find this, the unexpected outcome of the reality of who God is that we, we love him. Believe in God, says Jesus, believe also in me. So an exhortation to trust. Secondly, the promise of acceptance, acceptance, that you would be accepted if you trusted. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to the place to prepare a place for you? I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. So Jesus is, of course, referring there to heaven, where the Father is. Heaven. I'm going to, to the Father's house. There had been two earthly representations of the Father's house through the Bible story. One was a big old tent that they constructed after they'd left uh, Egypt called a a tabernacle uh, where they would worship. That was referred to as the Father's house. The second one was a concrete, but a stone structure built in Jerusalem, the temple, that was also referred to the Father's house. You know, this is my Father's house. You're making a den of robbers. There there are two earthly facsimiles of the Father's house. These were copies. These were kind of uh, echoes of the original or the reality, which is the Father's house that Jesus is talking about here. And of course, after Jesus' death and resurrection, when he died, the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. The earthly copies are no longer in play. They've been destroyed. We've lost all the copies. What do we do? Well, we've got the original, so we're okay. We're not looking to resurrect the facsimiles. We're not looking to resurrect the copies or try and rebuild the copies. We've been introduced into the real thing, and that's what Jesus is talking about now. In my Father's house where I'm going, I'm going to prepare a place for you. There's many rooms there. John MacArthur, the Bible teacher, said this. In ancient times, um, fathers had a house, and their children were raised in the house, and when they got married, they would build an addition on the house, and the father's house would get larger and larger as apartments were built for every married child. And that family in the father's house got larger and larger. It's not just in ancient times. Actually, this is still happening. So I said to you at the beginning, I'm half Greek and I'm half English. On my English side, everyone's in like little detached houses over there, and they might get to know the neighbors. Uh, and on the Greek side, it's like, you know, it just the whole thing just keeps expanding. A house gets built next door to, you saw the, my big fat Greek wedding, right? So they built, a, the house is next door. It's not like over the other side of town or in a different country. The father's house, it's that same kind of image in different cultures across the world. That's still happening. Um, and the heavenly father's house, says MacArthur, is very large and there are many, many dwelling places. I can make it simple for you. You don't need a map of heaven. There's just one house. That's quite nice, isn't it? You don't need a map of heaven. I heard as a kid growing up, you know, that if you don't live the right kind of life, you're going to end up 30 miles out of town in some low-level place uh, made out of pine boards because that's all you've sent up to heaven to build your mansion. Mansion really confused a lot of people. This is the word in the text here for rooms. You're not going to be down the street 
You're not going to be out of town. You're going to be in the Father's house. Isn't that great? There is a place for you, and it's in the Father's house. You're not going to be on the periphery or out on the edge or way over town somewhere else. You're going to be in the Father's house. That's your place. This is beautiful. This is beautiful. This is, this is really the promise of acceptance. You're coming right in to the Father's house. There's a family. Sorry, this is a family, he says, and you're going to be in the Father's house. One house with many, many rooms. So we might struggle here. We might have difficulties here. But Jesus said, believe in me, trust me, just in the same way as you've been trusting God, trust me, I'm gonna, you are going to have stability in your life. You may have instability here, but stability is coming with a great big S. <laughs> Security is coming. It's not all, it doesn't all have to be crammed. Uh, into this space and time right now. I'm going to the Father. I'm preparing a place for you. I'm going to return one day, and then the whole family will be together in the Father's house. Okay? Exhortation to trust, promise of acceptance, the meaning of life. Here it comes. Verse 4. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas says to him, Lord, we actually, it is in the past tense in Greek, it is actually in the present tense. Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answers, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to me, ex- uh, sorry, no one comes to the Father except through me. Scratching of the head. But people say, surely you know, let's be reasonable here. Aren't all religions showing us different aspects of the same God? Or a similar kind of objection, surely all paths lead ultimately to God. Those are both perfectly legitimate questions, and each of those questions has its own illustration, so I'll answer the illustrations. The first one, different religions showing us different aspects of God. Surely that's a more reasonable position. The illustration is this. It's of blind men stumbling across an elephant. Have you heard this one? Many of you have. Three blind men approach an elephant. One grabs hold of the trunk and says, I know what an elephant is. It's like a palm tree. The other one feels his side and says, I know what that's like. It's like Andy Cottingham's expensive sofa suite. It's, it's like, or it's like a wall of leather or something like that. Another grabs his tail and says, an elephant is like a rope. None of them realize that they're all examining the same elef- elephant. They don't realize they're examining the same elephant. None of them realize that their um, explanations are incomplete. They all think that they've got the whole picture when they haven't got the whole picture. Therefore, each of the major religions... Uh, has something valuable to contribute. Actually, I would agree with that. Uh, each of the religions, there are good things in each of the, of the religious traditions. There are good exhortations, usually. There, there's some in there. Something that's true. But no one religion has the whole picture, the whole picture. But here's the problem, here's the problem. The person telling this story, the narrator of the story, usually doesn't realize just how arrogant this explanation sounds. Because 
what they're really saying is, Muhammad is blind. Krishna, blind. Buddha, blind. Jesus, blind. Who sees the whole thing? (laughs) Only the narrator has actually got the whole picture. That's problematic. The second assertion is, is similar to that. Various pathways leading up a mountain to God, you know, at the top. Same problem. Only a person who has managed to go higher than the summit of that mountain and who's actually got oversight can actually see that all those paths actually, you'd actually have to get, have got there to be able to say that others are getting there. You actually have to be hovering over there to be able to say that they all go to the same mountaintop. You know, and, and obviously no one's really saying this like as, or claiming full knowledge in this way, but that's just the problem of those illustrations. Those kind of arguments only satisfy someone who's not willing to investigate further. As soon as you start to investigate these things further, you realize these kinds of illustrations don't really help us. That each of the major religions teach something different is obvious. That each of the major religions promote different gods is absolutely obvious to anyone who takes the time to examine them. For example, the God figure in Islam is radically different from the God of the presented in the Judeo-Christian tradition. It's a different God. The Hindu gods are completely different from the Islamic God. These religions are not saying different things about the same God. They are presenting different gods to humanity. And I think that's totally reasonable and a perfectly uh, a accurate assessment of what these different religions are trying to do. Now, let me give you something of my own journey towards this statement, this massive towering, I am the way, the truth, and the life statement that Jesus made. My story is this, that I was a convinced atheist. I had no desire for religious belief. I did not want to attend church. I'm so glad you uh, attend church. You're, you're better than I was. I didn't want to, I had no need or desire to attend church or temple or to go to a seance or it, it's all, it was all in the same kind of arena of, of belief for myself. I didn't trust organized religion of any kind. I thought that there were many paths to truth, not to God. Um, I was open to the possibility of there being truth with a big T. I didn't claim to have definitively found it. I didn't trust the Bible. Um, but I was someone who regularly journaled. I was writing all the time different things. And, and journaling was one of the things that I had done for years and years and years. So on, on May the 18th, in a year that far, far away and in another universe, I wrote this. The Bible is a dead book, a book not to be trusted simply because one cannot tell how much is the word of the church, i.e. political, and how much is the word of Christ, i.e. spiritual. So I was open to the possibility that something from a character connected with the name Jesus had said something in there. There might be something in there. Um, But the Bible is a studyable book. It was that studyable bit that was my downfall. That was the crack in the door that let in 
what I didn't want to come in. Um, and a friend of mine um, suddenly announced, rather shockingly, that he had found the truth and become a Christian. This uh, was a total shock to me because he was normal. And he played the guitar and everything. <laughs> I was in my 20s at the time, as he was. And we weren't like super close, but I knew him well enough to think, this is strange. Something terrible has happened to him, and he needs help. Um, so I decided that I would help him. And, um, but it didn't work, as is absolutely evident uh, from this moment. But anyway, I'll come to that. After dinner, I wrote in my journal, Glenn came round, now a fully-fledged Christian, although, uh, sorry, absolutely firm in his belief. We talked for hours. He really has had a revelation, which he describes as being born again. But as with most Christians one meets, he is absolutely firm that his is the way. I was talking about truth being the goal, and there are many different angles from which it can be approached. Science, art, religion, the sects and cults, but they believe theirs is the only way. I unfortunately cannot accept that. I have a different concept of Christ or truth. So because of this ridiculous claim that he'd made to have found the truth, uh, I began to investigate Christianity for myself. I have to qualify that. When I say I began to investigate Christianity for myself, it wasn't that I might find truth in Christianity. It was that I might find error in Christianity so that he would be freed from the misconception that he'd found the truth. I was trying to help him, bring him to his senses. He'd come to repentance and come back into the world. That was my goal. So I, I did it in order to convince him that he hadn't found the truth. I genuinely, that's, why, that's how I began to read the Gospel of John. And I did what I would call a close reading of that text, just like you would do if you were reading a, you know, a sonnet of Shakespeare or any decent piece of poetry. You would do a close reading. I was trying to find the contradictions, the fairy tales, the obvious mythical elements and I thought that that would be really easy to do. I, I honestly didn't think this was going to take very long. And once I, I, I established the, 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 um, the fact that you could, this was just like tissue, it, wasn't, it didn't stand up, it would be easy. Um, but against my will, against my will, I found that some of the things that Jesus said began to kind of resonate with me. And it was really, it was bad news. Some, some of it kind of rang true. How is this even possible? I didn't agree with them yet, but they're pretty extraordinary. Like this promise here in, in John 8, if you continue in my word, you will be my disciple. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What? What does that even mean? You continue in my word, you'll be my disciple. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, I'd argued with Christians before. I didn't have any Christian friends. I wasn't... I, I didn't have friends who were Christians, um, but I had met Christians when occasionally they had popped up in the culture somehow or somewhere, on the street usually, or in some kind of interaction, and I'd enjoyed having arguments with Christians, and I always felt that I'd won the argument and I was not convinced, but now I'm stuck because it's a book. It's just me and words. And what do you do when it's just you and words? 
Well, I wanted to be honest, not defensive, and be honest with myself. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, I knew I didn't have the truth with a, you know, with a big t. I, you know, I, I, I knew in, internally I wasn't really free. I was free. I could do what I wanted. But I didn't have that release of dynamic kind of inner freedom that I somehow felt was possible or ought to be there. So I had this, this challenge. So I kept on reading. I mean, I was still convinced that it was crazy to assert that one religion or one book could be right and all the others were wrong. But I was strangely impressed by Jesus' statements in the Gospel of John, including this one that we've looked at today. How can we know the way? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, how can we process that kind of exclusive claim because he is saying he's the only way, how can we process that kind of exclusive claim without being, without becoming bigoted or, you know, harsh or narrow? And I think the problem is absolutely satisfactorily resolved by understanding the bigger Bible story, the larger narrative of, of the Bible. And it, it's a narrative that's so compelling to me anyway that I'm convinced that we have received the authoritative way from the true and living God. Let me explain why, why I say that. The New Testament position is this, that Jesus Christ is God's given solution. He is the solution that God has given for our problem. We had a problem with God, we sinned, and we couldn't justify ourselves, we couldn't make ourselves right with God or justify ourselves before him and God responded with a solution he provided his son Jesus from the perspective of scripture that's the opposite of something narrow and hard it's God providing freely providing his own precious son to die on a cross for your sins it's the opposite of something hard and horrible and narrow. It's the most lavish act of generosity that has ever broken into human history. And, and for me, being converted was kind of like bringing together all these kind of puzzle pieces and then finally taking shape and forming a, a, a complete picture. It was a wonderful discovery. I had looked into other things and always felt like it was never resolved. The circle had never been completed. There was never resolution or completion. But in him, you are made complete. In Christ, there is this wonderful completion. So I kept reading through the Gospel of John, looking for error, digging for dirt, and being fine, you know, surprised by finding truth. What a surprise that was. Digging for dirt and, and clanging my intellectual spade on treasure that I never even knew existed. I thought surely it would be in some Eastern thing or somewhere else. But Christianity, this tired old ornamental remnant of the past, how could it be there? But it wasn't there. It was in Jesus. So on Monday, the 4th of June, I just copied out that verse from John 8. On Tuesday, the 5th, I said this, I cannot challenge Christ. I'm not a Christian yet. I cannot challenge Christ. I cannot achieve a pure state 
because I've sinned. That wasn't an issue for me. I didn't feel particularly bad about my sins, but I knew I was a sinner. That, my friend, was something I was good at doing. I knew I was good at something. I could play the guitar and sin. So I did have a good time. Anyway, sorry, no. So I, I can't challenge him because I've sinned. And because I know there is sin in me, the only answer is that I go to Christ and make an offering of myself into his trust and love. But something stops me, and I'm not sure what it is. I still don't know whether I want to believe. I think I sensed lifestyle change was coming. Boiled down, the result is selfishness. I know it's wrong, but is Christ the way? Is this why I cannot actually believe? Thinking also, do I have to believe in Adam and Eve? Was Darwin from Satan? No, no, it's too much. Am I being called by a power called God, or is this all working in the scope of my skull? Can I really disbelieve? I mean, having searched for the absolute truth, must I now, in rejecting Christ, reject absolute truth? He says, I am the truth. In a, in a letter to a friend at this time, a letter actually which I wrote and then never sent, sent it in the end, which is how I managed, I found a copy of it much later. I, I wrote this. I wish I'd sent it, but I'm glad I didn't for, for this sake. But I've been meaning to write for a while, but some distraction or unworthy outlet has interrupted it, such as my guitar or Yates' autobiography or the Gospel of John which I'm reading with ever-widening eyes. Uh, You could sense my friends beginning to move away from me. (laughs) Yes, in my search for truth, though it has taken some strange turns and twists, which have involved believing that there is an absolute truth, believing I glimpsed it, lost it, and forgot it, then believing that it's all part of the scheme to lose it and forget it, then realizing that, in fact, there is no absolute truth, and that all you can do is carry on living and try and do good, having love in your heart and in your motives, I have now, not finally, but in the course of my unusual travel, encountered a man who calls himself the living bread, the living water. I mean, who is this man? And then on the Monday, about a week later, uh, again, through more reading and more talking and arguing and all the rest of it, I wrote, and I shall say yes to Christ. Every day I'm getting closer. It's wonderful. It's bright and joyous. Joyous? I'm using a word like joyous. What's happening to me? And, 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 and it is real. It's real. I was in capital letters. Th- that's the most amazing thing. I'm really getting there. Dancing for joy. Of course, I am half Greek and half English. This was a metaphorical dancing. I'm actually sitting at my desk writing something. But anyway, this sense of inner joy is beginning to kind of burst in or out of me somehow. I mean, what is this? First of all, it was really hard going to break down my blind, stubborn atheism, which is blind and is stubborn, and to be fair and say, okay, then all right, I'll read it. I accept the challenge. I'm getting closer. I must get there. I must not give up. These Doubts that fly from the air shall disappear. I shall know the truth. I shall be free. You can can see I'm nearly there. I'm in the birth canal. It's happening, you know. Is that right? No, I don't know anything about that. I've had four children, but sometimes I was in another room. Anyway, so I, I, I I made this short prayer at the time, and it's not a great poem, but it's kind of a, a, a prayer, because I, I never pray. I hadn't prayed. I wasn't a person who prayed or any of that stuff. Or went, I never went to church or anything, obviously. Uh, anyway, see, see me with my hands. It's a kind of prayer. Hands that touched the tune of love and had the devil's care. 
Know me of my hands. Can I face the light of love and bid them meet in prayer? Show me with my hands. And then the next day, at 10 in the morning, after staying up all night again, I feel that today, the last 20 hours or so, uh, have, been ex- have been very important to me. It's been the first time the beautiful scheme of Christianity has truly entered my head and the first glimpse of a relationship with Christ. For the first time, I've glimpsed the sense of in things which I previously thought arrogant and arbitrary. And within a couple of days, I finally surrendered and gave my life to Christ. And I did that through just praying a simple prayer. It's not the prayer that does it. It's all this preamble of discovery and then final surrender. And in that, I don't even remember what I prayed, but I was just surrendering my life to Christ and giving my life to Christ. That was 33 years ago, I think, yes. And honestly, I've never regretted it once. It hasn't all been plain sailing, easy peasy, Japanesey, but it's, it's been fantastic knowing him, knowing him. He is the way, the truth, and, and the life. And um, then I permanently ended my 11, an 11-year 11 discipline of, of journaling uh, on Tuesday, the 26th of June, uh, 1984, by writing, to tell the truth, there doesn't seem to be a lot of point in keeping a diary any longer. I mean, I'm dismissing it now. It seems to have been part of the world that I'm finished with. All I can say to anyone who might happen to read this is, Jesus lives. Words indeed that made me cringe only a few weeks ago. <laughs> you, but don't take back that hallelujah because it's good. So the claims about Christ, are they're, they're, there's an exclusive element to them. I am the way, the truth, and life. But there's an inclusivity that draws you right in and gives you a place. For example... 1 Timothy 2, God our Savior desires all people to be saved. I mean, that's inclusive, isn't it? And to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there's one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. That's the, he's God's given solution. This is it. Who gave himself as a ransom for all. It's the same with, it's not shutting people out. It's bringing them in. It's the same with John 3.16. For God so loved the world, that's inclusive, that he gave his one and only son, There's your answer, that whoever, there's the broad inclusivity, believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So how could Jesus suggest it wasn't the case? He is the way and the truth and the life. Yep, there are lots of different paths, but those paths take you to different places, and they may take you where you don't want to go. If you want the heaven of the Bible... You need the Savior of the Bible to get to the heaven of the Bible. I mean, it's He, God, has provided a solution for you, and He hasn't. He doesn't need to provide alternatives, and He hasn't provided alternatives. He's given you Jesus Christ. And my exhortation to you this morning is: believe in Him, believe in Him, and you'll know His love and His grace and His forgiveness. He died on the cross for our sins, taking our punishment there on the cross so that you and I, through believing in him, wouldn't have to bear or carry the weight, the eternal consequences of our foolishness and our sinfulness. And he died for us there on the cross. God raised him from the dead, and he's alive today. And that's why we can come to him and say, Jesus, please forgive me. Please come into my life. 
I want to step into something new today. Is that for you? Let's stand together and let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Today, there is an opportunity for you to put your your trust in him. And I want to encourage you to do exactly that. To give your life to Christ today. You may be at various different points on the journey. And we're not going to embarrass you, but I am going to challenge you. There is a call from God to you to trust him. There's the exhortation to trust. There's a promise of acceptance. And you can find the meaning of life in Jesus Christ. Honestly, it's the best. Why, why, wouldn't, you, why wouldn't you run at it? It's the best news you could hear. He knows you and he loves you and he cares for you. I wasn't expecting actually love and forgiveness. and Mine was a cerebral thing. But overabundantly, I experienced the grace and the love and the mercy and the goodness and the, the comfort of God and the wisdom of God helping me with other aspects of life. You just get, you get it all. And God loves you. He, he knows you. He knows where you are in your life. And I want to encourage you today. He is like a good shepherd. He's like a good shepherd. And he's calling you home. He's calling you, come, follow me, follow me. And if you want to respond today, then I do want to pray for you as well. And so maybe this prayer will help you kind of like the the prayer that I, I prayed when I got to that stage. It's a simple prayer. Um, and maybe you just want to say it after me as I, as, I, as I pray these words. Should we do this aloud together just so that we'll all pray, we'll all pray. We're absolutely with you. Let, let's repeat this prayer as we pray. Lord Jesus, help me. You know my life. I want to believe. I want to believe in you. Help me to believe. Help me to respond to you now. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And you're alive now. Come into my life. Help me to follow you and to live for you. Now, if you prayed that prayer and you sincerely meant it, would you lift your hand up where you are right now? I just want to pray for you. Wonderful. Anyone else? Beautiful. Just keep your hand up high. I can't see everyone, but wonderful. Wonderful. Anyone else? Now, the ushers have got some a leaflet or a literature or I don't know exactly what they've they're going to bring to you something now just take it from them we want to help you I think there's four or so hands up just put your hands up again anyone else we're going to move on and pray in different ways now but wonderful Father thank you for those who are responding today I pray God that your mercy and your kindness would absolutely flood into their lives and there may be others of you as well you can put your hands down there may be others of you also who, um, 
may feel like, hey, I am open to this. I need to find out if there's anything in this. But I'm not at the point of response just yet. I want to encourage you, get the information about this Alpha course we saw a video of, which will give you an open introduction into the Christian faith and provide you a place where you can work out some of these questions and get hopefully some of the answers as well. That just begins on Wednesday evening. So you don't have to wait a long time. It's fantastic. Amen. And then we're going to pray as well for those who are looking to God for healing, uh, which is part of what we're doing this morning as well. And I want to encourage you, if you need a touch from God in healing right now, why don't you just lift your hands gently before the Lord? Just You don't have to climb to heaven. You're just like lifting your hands out so you're receiving a gift I believe God can touch you with his power in a wonderful wonderful way even now Father we thank you that it's not only this incredible truth that can transform our hearts and minds from the inside out but you care about our pains and our suffering as well and I pray for everyone in this room who needs a touch of healing right now. In Jesus' name, release gifts of healing now in the name of Jesus. Right now, right now, receive, receive, receive healing now in Jesus' name. Thank you for the anointing that is resting upon us in this place, this sweet, there's a kind of sweetness here. The Holy Spirit loves to glorify Jesus. Come Holy Spirit, touch our hearts, touch our bodies, just receive even now. There's someone you've significant back problems I know there's, all, there's always people with back problems but this is something that you, you want to get this done, this needs to get sorted just receive even now right now in Jesus name there's someone who is suffering with or the effects of carpal tunnel but it's just not shifting in Jesus name receive someone you've got like a, a dull kind of pain that's not behind your ear, it's kind of inside your left ear and it, it troubles you. I don't know if it's an intermittent thing, so you may not be feeling it now. I believe God wants to touch you as well. Someone with a skin condition, someone who's got, you've got problems with your wrist, it's not carpal tunnel, so it's you thought, oh, it's not that, but you've got a problem with your wrists or a wrist. I believe God wants to touch you as well in Jesus' wonderful name. Someone with neurological problems, God wants to touch you. Some motor neuron condition, Holy Spirit, come and work. And others with you have knee problems, there's someone with a neck condition or shoulder condition that's bothering you. In Jesus' name, 
receive healing right now. Right now. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I break, I break the bonds of any spiritual affliction that is creating these physical conditions. I break your power right now and command you to go in Jesus' name. Now, just where you are, gently begin to, in faith, test and see, has anything changed? Is there an improvement? Is the pain... And just as you're moving that limb or that knee or that whatever it is, you're, you're saying, do it, Lord. Come, Lord. Heal me. Touch me, Lord. You'll begin to feel a, a change. Sometimes you, you feel like a rush of some kind of power. Other times it's the absence of something. So it's not felt at all until you begin to move that part of your body that was formerly painful to you. Come, Holy Spirit. Even now, as we exercise faith together, we look to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Bring healings. Then as, as soon as it's done, as it feels like the pain's gone, then please speak to someone. Tell someone. We want to hear from you. The Lord's touching you right now. So if you've got a team of guys here who can help us pray, can you guys come to the front right now? And then if you've got any of those conditions that were mentioned, or if you have either had this sense of it's happening this morning for me, uh, or you felt some physical response in your body already, whether it's done or not, please do come gather at the front, face me this way, and we're going to pray for you. Just come and crowd in the middle here, it's fine. You're not on show, it's all right. We're just going to, we want to minister to you and give space. So you just come to the front where you are. If it's done, can you talk to Ben? Ben, just wave in case it's a guest who doesn't know you. If you feel like, wow, the pain has gone already, quickly come and talk to Ben. We want to hear about it. And can I have a handheld mic instead of this one? Is that possible? I agree. That's right. So ask the person, what do they want God to do? What are you asking God for? Beautiful. We're praying. In Jesus' name, receive. Receive. 